Good morning, guys. It is great to see you guys. Hope you guys had a great weekend. We are going to be in Song of Solomon chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. Song of Solomon chapter 2. We are going to be continuing in on our series uh, on uh, dating and relationships uh, and marriage and whatnot. Uh, As you guys are turning there, let me kind of give you guys a couple quick announcements. Last week, last Sunday, we kicked off our Go Missions Week. Some of you guys hit Breakaway last Tuesday. Might have hit our missions agency and fair and breakouts Wednesday night at our Anderson campus. And so last Sunday, I gave you guys a challenge. I gave you guys a challenge uh, to consider praying about going on a summer mission trip for the next two weeks. So we are halfway through that. So I want to kind of continue to put that out there in front of you guys. If you guys heard Greg Mott on Tuesday night, if you guys heard some of the other opportunities that have been through the week. Uh, honestly, I, I don't know if God would have you to go overseas this summer or another summer, but I would love to challenge you to simply pray because I think sometimes what God wants to know is simply would we be willing not necessarily whether we're going to go or not, but sometimes I think what he's testing and what he's pushing us is just whether we'd be willing to go overseas or not. And so uh, I continue to encourage you guys to be praying about that uh, this summer. We're going to be in Song of Songs chapter 2 this morning, all right? Uh, as we jump in, we've been watching this couple from the very beginning. We've watched this couple in their phase of attraction when they were kind of noticing each other across a crowded room and their eyes met, all right? Uh, then we kind of noticed them and began to watch them as they kind of stepped into a dating relationship, as we would call it. And what we're going to see this morning as we continue to watch their relationship unfold is that we're going to see them move from dating to marriage, all right? Specifically, uh, the end of chapter three is going to have their marriage ceremony, and we're actually going to look at marriage and the topic of sex in two weeks, all right? But what we're going to see this morning is we're going to see this couple move from dating to marriage, all right? Uh, through the phase that we often call it as engagement, but just as that serious, exclusive relationship kind of moves, that's what we're going to see. And really, I'll tell you guys that there's probably no more greater question I've ever heard in the midst of dating conversations than how do I know who's the one? How do I know if this is the one, all right? Song of Solomon chapter 2 is going to help answer that question for us this morning. But before we see Song of Solomon's answer, I thought it'd be really fun to hear what kids say about dating and marriage, all right? Uh, here's some uh, 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 responses of little kids to the uh, series of questions about dating and marriage, all right? To the question, what do most people do on a date? Uh, little Lynette, age eight, said this, and she's quite a treasure, all right? She said this, dates are for having fun, and people should use them to get to know each other. And even boys have something to say if you listen long enough, all right? <laughs> Martin, age 10, uh, said this about dates. I <laughs> love this. He said, on the first date, they just tell each other lies. <laughs> and that usually gets them interested enough to go out for a second date, all right? So insightful, little Martin, age 10, all right? Ladies, watch out, all right? Or to this question, how do you decide who to marry? How do you know who is the one, all right? Alan, age 10, said this. You got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. (laughs) Hopefully someone will straighten him out a little bit later, right? Kristen, age 10, had this to say. No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with, all right? (laughs) And then lastly, uh, to the question, how would you make a marriage work? Ricky, age 10, who I think is the most insightful, says this. Tell your wife that she looks pretty, even if she looks like a truck, (laughs) all right? (laughs) Ricky, age 10, all right? All right, that's how kids view dating and marriage, all right? So kids will lead you astray. Don't listen to them, all right? 
Song of Solomon, though, is going to give us, I think, a little bit more weighty and substantial and more helpful advice as we're looking at relationships that move from dating to marriage, all right? Again, the question I hear all the time is this, how do I know who is the one, all right? How do I know who's the one? And what I want to do this morning is I want to show you four elements that we're going to see from this couple's relationship in the Song of Solomon chapters two and three that I think highlight every relationship that's moving from dating to marriage. Every time we see a relationship that moves from dating to marriage, we are going to always see four basic elements, all right? And where do we start? What's the first thing we're going to see? The first thing we're going to see this morning in a relationship that moves from dating to marriage is this, that they are giddy for one another, all right? I love the word giddy, all right? So just hang with me, all right? Uh, But starting in chapter 2, verse 8, notice the text. Notice how giddy they are for one another. The woman says this, listen, my beloved. She's screaming to the hilltop. She's so excited, all right? Why? Behold, behold, uh, Behold, he is coming. He's climbing on the mountains. He's leaping on the hills. He's so excited that he's leaping, and he's overcoming any obstacle so he can get to her. He's excited. He's giddy. She says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. A stud, all right? Uh, she's got the greatest of appreciation for him. She sees him as a stud. I'll tell you guys, uh, we used to use that phrase all the time. He or she is a stud, all right? Uh, and so we would talk about either a dude that we were just really impressed with or a girl that we thought was spiritually an amazing kind of the whole package, all right? And so Marcy's mom actually grew up in a farming family, all right? And at one point she heard us talking about guys and girls as studs. And so from her farming background, she just assumed that we were referring to them as sexually active, all right? Because horses that are studs are sexually active horses, all right? That's not what she's saying here, all right? She's not saying that he's sexually active. He's just saying that she is impressed that there's an element about him that she is just drawn to, all right? In fact, he says, behold, my, uh, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he's standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He's peering through the lattice. He's not sexually active, and he's also not a stalker, all right? He's just excited, and he's bounding over mountains. He's leaping, and it's this kind of figure of speech, and he's come, and he's looking for her. He cannot wait to be with her. He is giddy, all right? Verse 10, notice, in fact, how giddy he is. He says, my beloved responded and said, arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. He wants to spend time with her. That the more and the more that he gets to know her, the more and the more that they are wanting to spend time with one another. There's a giddiness that leads them to pursue each other. And frankly, there's a giddiness in their pursuit of one another that leads to a distraction in other things of life. All right. Had a roommate one time who was so excited about a date he was going to have with a girl that he had bought a new pair of pants and he was ironing his pants and his mind began to kind of get distracted thinking about the date and how excited he was about the girl that he had stopped ironing. All right. And completely had burned right through the pants. All right. He panics because he's running short on time and he wants a new pair of pants. So he runs back to the store, grabs a new pair of pants. He's panicking, puts a new pair of pants back on the iron and almost uh, burns them again. All right. But see, whenever you and I are excited and giddy, we easily get distracted. Another, another, another dude who was just a complete genius, all right? Complete bookworm, all right? And so he would kind of get into studies and he could zone in for hours at a time. He was just a genius. And so after college, he actually entered into one of his first real dating relationships. And I remember in the midst of that, about six months into it, we're having lunch with him and he begins to talk about the fact that he's sitting down and reading. And man, like for the first time in his life, he cannot focus on what he's reading, all right? For the first time in his life, he's distracted in his studies. And my first response was, welcome to the club, right? That's all of us, right? Now the playing field has been even because you are in love and you're distracted. You can't think. And now I feel a little bit smarter, all right? (laughs) But see, whenever you and I are giddy about someone, we get distracted about everything else. And that's what's happening with this couple. They are giddy about one another. But it's not just about whatever. They're giddy about for a certain substantial reason because they're giddy about the fact that the relationship is growing. There's growth. It's not just that they're giddy. It's not that there's an excitement that can be infatuation, but they're giddy because underneath that excitement is the fact that this relationship is beginning to blossom and it's growing. 
In fact, that's very much the figure of image that's used in verses 10 to 12, uh, verse 13. Notice the way that they speak about their relationship. Verse 11, for behold, the winter is past and the rain is over and gone. The flowers have already appeared in the land. The time has arrived for pruning the vines and the voice of the turtle dove. And I don't know what a turtle dove is, has been heard in our land. And the fig tree has ripened its figs and the vines in blossom have given forth their fragrance. Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come along. What time of year is it? Spring, right? Flowers are blooming. Winter has gone, all right? It is spring in not just a literal sense, but also a figurative sense. There's growth in the relationship. And really, whenever you see growth in the relationship, there's a few things that are happening, a few things that you always see when growth is occurring. The first is time. Winter has passed. We're far enough into spring that things are beginning to grow. And they're not just talking literally about what time it is of year it is, but they're also talking about the nature of the relationship, that there's growth that's being seen. And for growth to be seen, it always requires time. Every single single one of us loves the idea in movies and romance novels and Disney pictures, except for Frozen, uh, right, of love at first sight, right? One day, and you instantly know this is the one, all right? For some, that does happen, all right? They just have some unique sense, all right? But for the great majority of us, that's not really the story as it normally gets written, right? This couple notices each other. This couple is getting to know one another, and time is passing, all right? In fact, I think this text shows us as this couple has started in the fall and as they're growing in the spring, this couple really evidences, I think, really a rule I had all through college about dating and was this. I never was willing to start a new dating relationship anytime after Thanksgiving. Why? I didn't want to deal with Christmas gifts on a new relationship, and I didn't want to deal with Valentine's on a new relationship, all right? So, gentlemen, start now. Once it hits Thanksgiving, wait till February 15th, all right? It's a biblical idea, all right? They've started way back in the fall, all right? I'm just kidding, all right? Ladies are like, what in the world? Okay. But what you do see is you see an elapsing of time for this couple, all right? They've known each other. They're getting to know each other. But time is transpiring and months and months and months of time, right? See, because the second thing that happens in a relationship that's growing is not just the passing of time, but also there is transparency, all right? I'm kind of in an alliteration mode, all right? I'm going to give you four Gs. I'm going to give you three Ts, all right? This is what you're going to get this morning, all right? There's two, three T's I'm going to give you really of what you see in growth. The first is time and the second is transparency. Where do I get this? Notice verse 14. Notice what's happening in their interaction. Verse 14. He says, Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. What's happening here? He's likening her to a dove that is up in a little hidden part of a crack in a mountain face that's way far away, and he's calling out to her gently to come out, that he wants to see her. He wants her to come out, all right? Notice he doesn't necessarily scale the mountain face and manhandle her and call her and pull her out, right? He's gently from a distance calling her to come out to see her form, to see her voice, and what's happening here is you're getting a sense and a picture of transparency. They're getting to know one another and their guards are dropping and they're being honest and they're being open with each other. For you guys, a few weeks ago, I said that you start in dating relationships, not with your eyes, but with your ears and you learn to listen and learn to listen well. You learn and you start with your ears, but you finish with the ability to ask good questions. All right. What ends up happening for this relationship for this couple is they're getting to know one another. They're in a sense of being called out to see and to know one another. All right. And how is that happening? Because there's a sense of security and safety, and they're beginning to pull themselves and show themselves as to who they are. This guy is gently calling her out. He's gently learning how to draw her out, to see her as she is. And the same is true likewise. 
that they're beginning to open up, they're beginning to share. And so, gentlemen, let me say this to you guys. This is not uh, like a game of poker, all right? The goal is not to hold your cards as close to your vest for as long as you can, all right? And for you guys who don't like to talk or open up or share, all right, that's going to be deadly in a relationship. You are not a robot, all right? You have more than just one feeling. You can't just get your feeling hurt, all right? We can get our feelings hurt, all right? We have more than one feeling, all right? And so here's the deal. So you guys have got to learn how to begin to open up and share, right? She wants to know you. And yet some of us treat ladies just like we treat her a mom in, uh, at high school when she would ask us how the day was and what would we say? At least for me, I'd say fine. But it's really revealed nothing, right? Because I didn't want her to know anything, all right? And yet some of us, we carry that kind of into a dating relationship where we've not yet learned how to really open up. And so when a lady asks, how was your day? She's not asking for a rundown, chronologically speaking, of what you did, right? She's wanting to know about you, about what you felt as you walked through a day and what happened in your day. She doesn't really care about the details. She wants to know you from the details. So gentlemen, you've got to learn how to begin to open up and share. For some of us, as we step into dating relationships, we begin to find that there are things in our lives that prevent us from really feeling comfortable and able to be transparent. For some of you, it's family background stuff. For some of you, things have happened to you in the midst of dating relationships in the past, or maybe something happened even in your home life that really creates a barrier or a lid on your ability to open up and actually express and share yourself. And you get into a dating relationship and you begin to realize there's a lid that you keep pushing up against because for whatever reason, you just can't open up. And I'll tell you, it may not necessarily be the fault of the person that you're dating, <laughs> And maybe that there are some things that have gone in your life that you've yet to learn how to process and you've yet to learn how to deal with. And so for some of us, really a counselor is a wonderful opportunity to begin to surface and pull out of some things that we dealt with even as a child that have impacts on us that we don't even realize. Not just impact on us in our dating lives, but even in our friendships. If you find over and over again, you have a real difficulty going deep, there may be reasons why that's the case. And no dating relationship, and maybe even no friendship is necessarily going to fix that or address that because there might be some things going on at the deepest of levels that you need to face and deal with. And until you do, you may have a really hard time entering into a dating relationship that's going to be healthy as it goes to a deep place. If you find yourself in that place where there's just a lid on your ability to open up and share, then you've got to look at that and you've got to deal with that. Counselors are a wonderful place. It doesn't mean that you have issues. It just means that you need to step into an environment where someone from the outside can help you process and pull some of those things out so that you can find a place of freedom and healing so that you can open up again and step into a depth in relationships that maybe you've yet to find. It's not just that we need to learn to share, but the other thing I want you guys to see too is that as you guys move into dating relationships, not too early and not too late, but there does come a time as you guys are moving in security and depth that you have to air some dirty laundry, right? I can realize this is not in the attraction phase. This is not in the, as the dating relationship just started phase. But every single one of us has some things in our past that really are not what we would have hoped for. That create some shame, that create a willingness for us to want to hide. And for every single one of us, there comes a time in the midst of a dating relationship where you need to air that, all right? Not on date one, and not necessarily even after engagement, right? Somewhere in that move of depth, moving towards engagement in that spot, that you really need to have that moment where you begin to actually say, hey, here's my past and here's what you need to know. Um, I'm not proud of this. I know that Christ has forgiven me for some of these things. I know that I'm a completely new person and I'm walking a whole different way. But this is in my past and I don't want to surprise you. Now, in the moment, a person is going to have a difficulty in just going, man, that's no problem, right? A person is going to be really crushed potentially. 
really disappointed. Maybe that's not what they envisioned that they were going to be marrying a person with that kind of past. But if you're pursuing the right kind of person who's pursuing Christ, that person is going to have the ability to look at that and extend forgiveness. Maybe forgiveness in a way that you've never even seen or experienced and that you haven't even extended yourself. In time, if that person can't do that, then you need to move on. Looking for a person who can do that and who will love you just as you are with a past that you have. And you know what? They're out there. All right? See, this couple is going to have that place where they're beginning to move toward transparency. And when you begin to move toward transparency, right around the back end of that comes trouble, all right? And I don't mean trouble in a bad way. I just need another T, all right? All right, all right. and here's the trouble that breaks out for this couple, all right? And I'm going to tell you, this trouble actually isn't trouble at all. It's actually really good, all right? But it's difficult. Notice what happens immediately after this in verse 14. He's drawn her out. He's calling her out. They're beginning to, in a sense, open up and share themselves. And then notice verse 15. Notice what happens. Uh, she says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in full blossom. She's saying, hey, look, our relationship is growing. It is taking off. And all of a sudden, as we begin to open up to one another, all of a sudden, trouble, conflict is breaking out. See, when you begin to be really real and raw and honest with one another, you can expect conflict to be coming soon. I told this story a few years ago, but when Marcy and I uh, were engaged, we were at one point taking off from College Station, driving to Midland which is a seven-hour road trip, all right? Uh, we were excited about it, looking forward to it. And about 30 minutes into the road trip, Marcy turns to me and she says, I'm so glad that we've never told anyone else that we love them. Well, we had very much talked about our past relationships, but I had told a girl in high school that I loved her, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what love was, all right? Uh, and things were pure, but I had said verbally, literally, I do love you, all right? I didn't know what love was. For me, it really wasn't that significant, all right? And so there I am 30 minutes into a seven-hour road trip, all right? (laughs) And that bomb got fused, right? And so I have two options. I can either lie and cover over it, all right, so that we have a peaceful six and a half hours left of a road trip, all right? Or I can be honest, right? And then for the next six and a half hours, oh, dear God, help us all, right? And so I was honest with her, and then the foxes broke out, known as silence and tears, in the car, right? All of a sudden, we have to kind of walk through this, diff- this difficulty that we didn't see. But, but as you begin to be honest and raw with one another, it's not just things in the past that come out, but it's also, hey, you have a preference about things that maybe that person doesn't have a preference about, Right? All of a sudden, your preferences begin to rub each other. You don't just say, oh, that's fine, whatever you like, right? Now you're moving forward in this relationship. You're like, no, I don't like it when you do that, right? That drives me insane, all right? All of a sudden, you begin to communicate with some real openness and honesty, and all of a sudden, now we got some foxes out and about, all right? You got to take care of those foxes, all right? They're not precious little cute things. They will ruin the relationship, but here's the deal. Here's what I want you guys to see. The presence of the conflict, the presence of the foxes is not nearly as troubling as the absence of the foxes, right? For a relationship that's moving toward engagement, if we don't have any conflict whatsoever, and since if we don't have any foxes running out loose, then we're really honestly not being that real with one another yet. The absence of conflict as you move deeply into a relationship is more troubling than the presence of conflict. And we're going to talk about this exclusively in about three weeks when we get into This married couple's conflict that breaks out in a few chapters later, and it's pretty hot, all right? They're going to get after it, and they're going to show you how to fight and how to fight well. But we're going to see that in a few weeks, and so we'll come back and talk more about how do we do that. But here's what happens with conflict, especially in dating. Conflict breaks out, a fox is loose, a fox that can ruin the vineyard, that can ruin this relationship, and you have two choices. 
Either you resolve the conflict and stay with one another, or you don't resolve the conflict and you move away from one another. What's going to happen to this couple is they're going to have the foxes are out. They're going to deal with the conflict and they're going to stick with each other. And when you stick with one another, all of a sudden a kind of security begins to come about in the relationship as you see one another as they really are, good and bad, and as the person doesn't go away, but they stay. It creates a kind of security and a kind of fidelity that all of a sudden this relationship really begins to take off. I want you guys to notice what happens next because you're going to get not just a giddiness and a growth, but you're also going to get a guarantee. Notice what happens next as they deal with conflict and as they stay and as they stick through it. Verse 16, then she says, my beloved is mine and I am his. This is a statement of commitment and a statement almost of a guarantee, all right? Such as we're going to see their marriage that's going to kick up in chapter 3, verse 6. This is a statement of fidelity and commitment to one another. That in the midst of the foxes, in the midst of the conflict, this couple doesn't move away from one another. They deal with it. They move towards one another. And in that place is security and fidelity. And when you have that guarantee, they have it not just to one another, but notice who they have it next with as well. Chapter 3, verse 4. When I found him whom my soul loves, I held on to him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house. Gentlemen, learn this lesson now. As you're dating a woman, you need to win the approval of two women, all right? Her and her mother, all right? Learn it now, all right? As you walk in dating and as you walk toward engagement, you have to win both of their approvals, all right? It's hard work, all right? But it's worth it, all right? But that's what's going to happen. There's going to be a statement of guarantee, not just to her, but even to her mom as you move in this relationship. And notice what happens as this commitment emerges, as this fidelity emerges. Notice what happens. Notice how, and it's going to get hot here in verse 17, all right? They have conflict. They're getting to know one another. They have conflict. They deal with it. There's a statement of their commitment to each other. And then notice her heart take off, verse 17. She says, until the cool of the day when the shadows flee away, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Bether. If you do a Google search or if you do a little uh, look in the back of your Bible for uh, for a map of Old Testament geography, there is no mountains of Bether on the map. All right. This is not a mountain range that she's referring to that's on any map. What she's saying is there's two mountains. All right. And they are denoted by this word bether, which means cut, or you may know as cleavage, all right? She's saying, I want you to be like a stag on the mountains of cleavage. Whoa, all right? This is the moment where everyone's like, is this still the Bible? Because I don't know what's going on, right? This is where grandmothers blush, all right? She's saying in the midst of this security, I want you on my breast all day and all night, all right? That's what she's saying. Verse 17, it's in your Bible, all right? Notice that passion spill over chapter three, verse one. Notice what she says. On my where? My bed, night after night, I sought him whom my soul loves and I sought him but did not find him. I must arise now and go about the city and the streets and in the squares and I must seek him whom my soul loves and I sought him but did not find him, all right? She's saying, I want you to be like a young stag on my breast and at night I lay awake thinking about you because I want to be with you. Hello. All right, she's got a giant passion to be with this guy, sexually speaking. All right, but notice what happens. She says, "I did not find him." Verse four. She does find him, and scarcely had I left them when I found him, whom my soul loves, and I held on to him and would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. Verse five. Notice what she says, though. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. 
This girl and this couple is moving from dating toward engagement, and marriage is going to be chapter 3, verse 6, as we move forward in the ceremony, all right? At this point in time, she, frankly, wants him, all right? In the midst of the Christian church, we like to kind of keep things all nice and clean, all right? She wants to have sex with this guy, and there's no if, and, or buts about it, all right? But she says in the very last verse, verse 5, but do not awaken love until she pleases. Despite the desire, it is an unfulfilled desire that she does not act on, all right? There's a restraint all the way up into marriage, all right? Here's what engagement is like, all right? When a couple gets engaged, I typically tell them, congratulations and welcome to purgatory, all right? Because you are going to groan and you're going to struggle in this phase because it is not all just awesome, all right? There's some great moments and there's some incredible growth, but it is a time of heightening desire and complete lack of fulfillment, all right? Let me give you an analogy. It's a little bit like watching the A&M game yesterday, right? <laughs> heightening expectations, and maybe this is too soon, all right? But I think you still feel it, all right? Heightening expectations and no one's scoring at all, all right? That's engagement, all right, people? <laughs> Complete desire and no one scoring, all right? It is very frustrating, is it not, all right? But here's what engagement is. It's that experience that you had for four hours yesterday for however long you want engagement to be, all right? That's what engagement is, all right? And I know I'm painting a really stark, horrific kind of mood here, all right? <laughs> but that's what engagement is. It is a time of heightened desires and no fulfillment of it, all right? It is being kept at bay as she says, do not awaken love until she pleases. She wants to step into her wedding and into her honeymoon with complete freedom of conscience and clarity of her purity. Here's a statistic. Here's what's fascinating about statistics in terms of research of couples who, frankly, who end up moving in and living together, all right? Research, this is not just a church, this is research that's out there, culturally speaking, show that there are couples who end up living together before they get married, that of those couples who live together before they get married and then they get married, the chance that they're still together five years after they first got married is under 30%. So a couple who allows love to awaken and pleases and they end up living together because they have some sense that they need to test drive the vehicle, which is a crazy concept, all right? Trust me, it will work, right? You don't need to test drive it, all right? It will work just fine, all right? But that couple moves in, the chance that they will still be together five years after they get married is less than 30%. The couples who get married who did not live together uh, before they got married, five years later, there's a chance that there are 78% chance that they're still married after five years. Those are fascinating, horrific statistics, frankly. The show that God is not just trying to be some cosmic killjoy, right? Who's just trying to say, wait, 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 for no good reason. But in that waiting phase, it is developing the couple in a way that they're going to need as they step into marriage. That that restraint, that willingness to remain pure, to wait, builds discipline and builds character so that when they step into marriage, those skill sets, that character transfer into not just their sex life, but their marriage as well. It's huge. It's hugely significant. So much so that I'll tell couples as they move toward engagement that I would actually encourage you guys as you move toward engagement and you sense that rising passion, pull your boundaries more conservatively backwards, right? As Marcy and I got engaged, we took our boundaries that had been in one place and we, we backed the train up, right? Because we're like, I can't even handle that anymore, right? Because the whole design of your whole system is tripwired and triggered to move towards sex. And so we said, ooh, let's move backwards, right? Because that engine is revved, right? The desire and the sense of security and fidelity of a couple as they get near engagement and in engagement 
creates a system and creates a triggering of passions that are escalating way beyond anything that you had while you were dating. So for some couples, I encourage a man, move the train back, move those boundaries back. Here's the thing, though. I think for most couples, uh, really, you could characterize this as a period of groaning, right? But here's the reality is that there's groaning for every single one of us, no matter the stage that we find ourselves in. For the engaged couple, they're looking and they're groaning towards marriage. For the dating couple, they're looking and they're groaning towards engagement. For the couple who's not dating, who's still single, they're looking and sometimes groaning towards dating, right? In every phase of life, whether you are now in school, you're looking for a day that you will have a paycheck and have a job, right? And really be able to kind of be running. And then you'll get to that phase and then you're like, I really just can't wait to have a house, right? And then you're running after the next thing, after the next thing, after the next thing. And so in whatever stage of this dating thing that you find yourself in, every single one of us, I think, experiences some level of groaning, some level of unfulfilled desire. And what do we do in the midst of that? We realize that the one that we've been created for who can fulfill our ultimate desires is Jesus Christ. And it's not in a relationship. It's not in a job. It's not in a house. That we've been created by him to find our utmost joy in him. And so in the midst of the groaning, redirect it towards him. And let him provide for you in his timing so that you can be patient and you can wait for his best. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even uh, as we look at this dating topic that for many of us we're so interested in, that we think about so much in college, I thank you that you've left us with record. You've left us with your word uh, to see and to know and to understand how a couple moves towards marriage. And I pray, Lord, that you give us, whether we're dating now, looking towards that, or whether we're just waiting to date, I pray that you give us a clear sense of what a relationship looks like as it's moving there. There's excitement getting us, that there's growth, that there's um, a guarantee, a sense of security and fidelity, and that there's even groaning. Lord, help us to not be naive. Help us to surround ourselves with those that can see what's going on in our relationship that can be wonderful counsel and wonderful affirmation. And Father, I pray in whatever stage we find ourselves in, Lord, I pray that you allow your provision to be that which we're grateful for. That we would find a contentment and a peace in your hand and in your presence, no matter where we find ourselves in now. To not rush love, to not rush what we don't have, what you've not yet provided. Lord, help us to wait for you and to wait for your best so that it can shape us and then it can grow us to be men and women of you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. I ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit. Amen.